Father, again, we come thanking you for your uh, compassion. And Father, we pray and thank you for the compassion that you have given us by giving us your word that we may know you. And Father, we pray that you, would, uh, that you would light up the words of Scripture to us by your Spirit so that we may know them and we may understand them and ultimately that we may come to know you more. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a, a few weeks ago while we were at home, I, I noticed a puddle on the sidewalk outside of our villa. I went to investigate and I noticed there was some water leaking up from underground, so I knew a, an underground pipe had, had sprung a leak. It wasn't uh, my problem. The leak was before it got to our water meter, so I wasn't going to be paying any extra money for this leak. But I knew the problem would probably eventually get worse, that the pipe might burst, and then it would become our problem as we probably wouldn't have any water in our home. So I decided to call the city. I called FIWA. I told them what was going on, let them know that there was a problem, that there was water spilling out into the street, and they might want to fix it. Uh, so after that, that call, I got an SMS to my phone saying that they had opened up a, a trouble ticket. They had opened up the problem. They were going to address it. Uh, a couple hours later, I got an SMS saying that the problem had been solved, that they had come and fixed it. Well, great. You know, that was pretty fast. So I went outside, but the puddle was still there and the water was still leaking. So I called again. Same thing happened. So I called again. Same thing happened. They recorded the problem. They sent me an SMS to let me know that the problem was, they knew of the problem, and then they sent me another one to let me know that the problem had been solved, only the water was still leaking. So I decided I was going to call one last time. I'd call one last time to let them know. Uh, thankfully, this time, someone is actually sent to fix the problem, and we haven't had a leak since. Well, I'm guessing you all have experienced similar things. You may have experienced similar things with FIWA or some of the other government agencies around here. Uh, but if you haven't experienced that, you've experienced something where you have had to deal with the same problem over and over. So in my case, despite the city's assurances that the problem had been fixed, I had to call over and over again to actually see the problem resolved. If you're a parent, just think of how many times you've had to correct your children for the same thing. If you remember when you were a child, think how many times you had to be corrected for the same thing. Well, it can be frustrating. And yet, we are quick to forget that God has to continually deal with us as we commit the same sins over and over again. Or even if it's not the same sin, the fact that we just sin over and over again. And though we may not want to admit it, this, this description of the leaky pipe under the ground is a fitting description of us and our sin. We might even be convicted at times as we read the Bible, as we hear a sermon, as another brother or sister points out some sin to us. We might confess and even vow to the Lord that we're going to do better the next time, only to, to find ourselves sinning in the same way a few minutes later, a few hours later, a few days later, or perhaps a few weeks later. Like a, a child that has to be corrected many times, we too need many corrections. But thankfully, thankfully we have a gracious and compassionate God who can, continues to pursue us despite our repeated sins. A God who is continually at work sanctifying us and, and growing us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. A God, as, as his word says, who began a good work in us at the moment of salvation and will bring that work to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. 
uh, when we will be completely transformed into the image of his son. Well, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. This is going to be our last sermon in the book of Jonah. Uh, So, so far in our study, we have seen Jonah flee from the presence of the Lord because he did not want to go preach to the people of Nineveh. That was chapter 1. We've seen Jonah repent of that sin as he found himself in the belly of the fish following being thrown overboard by the sailors. And that was chapter 2. Then we have seen Jonah obey the Lord and go preach to the people of Nineveh, resulting in their repentance. That was chapter 3. And so now we've only, only for all that, we come to chapter 4 and we see Jonah angry that the people of Nineveh repented and that God relented from the destruction that he had uh, warned the city with. So please uh, follow along as I read Jonah chapter 4. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade, to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When the dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. Well, how are we to understand Jonah's reaction? How are we to understand Jonah's anger in this chapter? Was he not truly repentant when he was in the belly of the fish? If so, why is he now angry? Well, if you were here for chapter 2, you know that I do think Jonah was genuinely repentant in chapter 2, but I think we see here in chapter 4 that he is still a work in progress. There is sin that remained in Jonah's heart. His process of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus Christ, was not complete. He had chosen to obey when the Lord called him a second time to go preach to the people of Nineveh. That was an improvement from his initial rebellion but it seems as if he was not yet obeying the Lord from the heart. Nevertheless, despite this, we see in this chapter that God continued to be compassionate to Jonah. He continued to pursue Jonah. Uh, So the, the main idea of the text is God has a right to show compassion how he sees fit. He shows compassion by pursuing us in our sin, And he calls us to joyfully rest in his sovereign goodness. God has a right to show compassion how he sees fit. He shows compassion by pursuing us in our sin. And he calls us to joyfully rest 
in his sovereign goodness. So I have three points for you to consider from the text as we reflect on that main idea. The, the first is Jonah's continuing sin. Uh, the second is God's continuing pursuit. And then the third is God's unending compassion. Jonah's continuing sin, God's continuing pursuit, and then God's unending compassion. So first, Jonah's continuing sin. Uh, well, I think Jonah chapter 4 has to be one of the most surprising chapters in the entire Bible. Uh, many of us have known the story of Jonah since we were children. We have known it for years and years, so perhaps the surprise is kind of worn off as we come to chapter 4. But here we have Jonah, a prophet of the Lord, one commissioned to deliver the word of the Lord. He's called to proclaim the word of the Lord specifically to the people of Nineveh, as we've been reading. And then he is here in chapter 4, angry at God for saving an entire city from destruction. If Jonah was going to get angry at God, maybe you would think it would have been in the belly of the fish, maybe in the midst of the storm, perhaps sometime during his long, difficult journey to Nineveh. But he is not angry about any of that. He's angry that a whole city who had once been enemies of God, who did not know the Lord, who had been committing great evil, had turned and worshipped God, the same God that Jonah claims to serve. He's angry that God has shown compassion. He's angry that God relented from judgment with which he threatened the city of Nineveh. If you're anything like me, if, if you do have that kind of feeling of surprise as you turn to Jonah chapter 4, you almost recoil at his words. I don't know if any of you have ever watched like a movie or TV show when the character does something embarrassing, and it's like so embarrassing that you can kind of feel it, and like you're almost embarrassed for that person. Well, that's a little bit what it's like to, to read Jonah chapter 4 here. You just kind of cringe. Uh, that's kind of what this last chapter of Jonah is, is like. Well, perhaps most surprising about this chapter is Jonah seems angry that God has acted in accordance with his character. He says in verse 2 that he knew God was a gracious and compassionate God, that God was slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. He knew all these things. And so in some sense, he is, is angry at God for being God. He is angry at God's mercy and compassion, those elements of God's character. Friends, Jonah knew something of who God is. He understood that God is a God of compassion, a God of mercy, a God of grace, but he did not delight in who God is. God's compassion did not lead Jonah to praise and worship. It did not lead him to humility, but it led him to anger instead. God was no longer a source of comfort for Jonah like he had been when Jonah was stuck in the belly of the fish. No, instead of being a source of, of comfort, uh, he was now the object of Jonah's anger. And friends, I don't think there's any more clear evidence in the Bible than this story of Jonah that simple, simple knowledge of who God is or simple knowledge of God's word is enough. Knowledge of God is not the same thing as loving God or knowing God. Uh, Jonah knew much of who God is, but at least at, at this moment in, in time, Jonah did not love God, and he certainly found no rest in God's sovereign goodness, no rest in the truths of who God is and his character, no delight in the fact that God shows mercy how he sees fit, and the fact that he had shown so much mercy to, to Jonah. We'll, we'll see that a little bit later in the sermon. 
No, instead, Jonah was, a, Jonah was a proud man. And in his pride, he claimed a moral superiority to God. He claimed he, he knew better than God. He's unwilling to rest in God's sovereign goodness and accept the fact that the Lord can, can do and will do as he pleases, that the Lord will accomplish all of his purposes. Well, this is the, the question that God leaves Jonah with at the end of the book. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh? God asked Jonah. In other words, may I not do what I please? Well, Jonah's answer to that question, at least here at the beginning of chapter 4, is essentially no. Or at the very least, I guess you can, uh, but I don't have to like it, and I don't have to think that it's right. I do not have to like your ways, Lord. And so in his pride and his anger, Jonah as Jonah sought to, to justify his past sin against God even in this, in this place of, of pride and moral superiority. If you look again at the beginning of Jonah's prayer in verse 2, he says, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. In other words, see, God, I knew I was right all along by hopping on that ship. I knew this is what you were going to do. I knew if it would have been better if I was in Tarshish right now and if I had never come to Nineveh, despite what you told me. At the moment, Jonah is, is failing to believe that, that God's ways are better than his ways, that God's ways are higher than his ways. He refuses to rest in God's sovereign goodness and to rejoice that God shows mercy. My brothers and sisters, if, if you're honest, there are times where you are tempted to do the same thing as well. Some of you uh, sitting in this room may have experienced the consequences of doing what is right. And this may tempt you to say like Jonah, See, God, I told you so. It would have been better if I had lied. It would have been better if I had married that man or woman who, who isn't a Christian. I'm still single. I knew this would happen, God. It would have been better if I had not forgiven that person because they hurt me again. Or maybe there are times when you, you have sinned and things have gone well in, in your heart and you say, I'm glad, to, I'm glad I chose to ignore that instruction from the Lord. I'm glad I didn't forgive that person because they did hurt me again. I get more sleep now that I don't get up to spend any time reading the Bible or, or come to church. Maybe you're simply envious of the sins of, of others. You find that God's commands to be a burden. You long to be free from them and to pursue the sins of the world like you see others doing. Well, each of those, those attitudes, if, if you find yourself in one of those places, claims a, a moral superiority to God. He doesn't know what he's doing. I, it would be better for me if I didn't submit to his will. I know better. Well, that was, that was Jonah's attitude. But brothers and sisters, in Jonah's pride, the, I think the main thing that we see in Jonah is that he forgot God's compassion to him. He forgot God's mercy to him. We have seen God's abundant compassion and mercy to Jonah throughout the book. Jonah flees from the Lord. The Lord sends a storm to, to bring him back. Jonah ignores that. God appoints a great fish to preserve his life. He brings him to the end of himself in that fish that he repents, and then he's led to a place of obedience. God uses his ministry to convert an entire city, uh, and yet Jonah is angry. He has forgotten God's compassion to him. His, his attitude seems to be one that essentially says, I will accept God's compassion for me, but not for you. 
I deserve God's compassion, but those Ninevites, those persecutors of God's people, they are unworthy of your compassion, Lord. And he says he'd prefer to die than to live in a world where God extends his compassion even to the people of Nineveh. Well, if you want to understand what the Bible means by uh, do not judge one another or do not judge lest you should be judged, this is what it means. Uh, Jonah judged the Ninevites as unworthy of God's compassion, and that attitude fundamentally came from an attitude in his heart that says, I am worthy of God's compassion. I am worthy, you are not. Jonah did not clearly see his own need for, for mercy, his own need for forgiveness. He did not feel grateful for the ways that God had shown compassion to him because he felt himself worthy of God's mercy and compassion. And because he saw himself as worthy, he did not see the people of Nineveh as worthy of that, of that same mercy and compassion. So, brothers and sisters, that just leads me to ask you a, a simple question this afternoon. Are you grateful for the compassion that God has shown you? Are you humbled at God's mercy and compassion? That he would send his son to forgive your sins? Or maybe instead, when you look out across this room, do you see others that, that God has saved, that God has shown mercy and compassion to, and say, I am much more worthy than they are. Do I really have to treat them as a brother or sister in Christ? Did you really know what you were doing, Lord? Or what about the people of this city and country who are not Christians? What about Gulf Arabs? Do you desire that God would show compassion to them? Would you be angry if someone who had mistreated you in the past were to walk in that door in a couple weeks professing faith in Jesus Christ? If the church in the future were to accept them into the membership of the church, do you desire to see those who have not been kind to you and have not treated you well come to know God's mercy and compassion? Well, I think one of the, the most famous commands in the Bible is that Christians are to love your enemies. God calls you to forgive as you have been forgiven and to not forget the mercy and compassion that God has shown to you in Jesus Christ. Jonah had not fully learned this lesson. Yes, he, re he repented in the belly of the fish, but his process of sanctification was not complete. He had probably spent several weeks in journey to Nineveh. Uh, it was, uh, Nineveh is not close to the coast. This is not like the day after he was spit out from the fish. And in those couple of weeks, his, his heart had grown hard towards the people of Nineveh yet again. And so he, he reluctantly obeyed God and went to preach to Nineveh. But he was not at the point of delighting in God's command. He was not at the point of, of loving the people of Nineveh. Yet despite Jonah's continued sin, God continued to show compassion to Jonah. He continued the process of sanctification in Jonah's life, and he continued to pursue him. Which brings us to the second point of the sermon, which is God's continuing pursuit. So look again with me, starting at, at verse 4 in, in Jonah chapter 4. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. 
When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. Well, following Jonah's outburst of anger here, look what the Lord does. He gently asked Jonah a simple, a simple question. Is it right for you to be angry? The Lord could have strongly rebuked Jonah, but he doesn't. He's gentle with Jonah. But in a reminder of, of Jonah's lack of response when God sent the storm as he's fleeing uh, away from Nineveh, Jonah does not respond to this question from the Lord either. Instead, he, he leaves the city and goes and sets up camp where he can see the city to see what would happen. Though he's, he's angry at the Lord from relenting for his judgment, it seems as if he's still kind of holding out hope that the Lord would change his mind and destroy the city of Nineveh. Actually, he might, it's like he's comparing his life to the people of Nineveh. Lord, I want to die if you don't judge them, so why don't you preserve my life and destroy the city instead? So Jonah does not respond to God's compassion to him, but seems to hold out hope that God will respond to his anger instead. But God is again compassionate to Jonah. He continues to pursue Jonah in his sin. The text says that the Lord appointed a plant. And this is the first of the, the three times the, the text says that the Lord appointed something. That God appointed the plant. He appoints the worm that comes and eats the plant. He appoints the wind that causes Jonah's misery after the plant has gone away. And so in the same way that we are to see God's sovereign hand at work in the, in the storm that he sends, in the same way we're to see God's sovereign hand in appointing the great fish, they use the same word back in chapter 1 that God appointed a great fish to come swallow Jonah, we are supposed to see God's hand at work here in the plant, in the worm, in the wind. God is at work in both the big and little details of life, and he is at work in Jonah's life here. God appoints this plant that grows up in a night to provide shade for Jonah, and the text says that this greatly pleases Jonah. I think if we were in Jonah's situation, that plant would probably greatly please us. Here in the UAE, we probably have a better feel for what Jonah felt than many people around the world with the sun beating down on us. But I think we're supposed to see in, in Jonah's case, we're supposed to see a contrast between the pleasure Jonah had in the plant and the displeasure he had towards the people of Nineveh. In verse 1 of Jonah chapter 4, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious that God would forgive the people of Nineveh. Well, here with the plant, Jonah is greatly pleased. He's pleased with God's compassion when it is directed at him but he's displeased in God's compassion towards the Ninevites. In fact, as, as one commentator pointed out, this is the only time in the whole book that Jonah is said to be pleased in anything. He just witnessed the conversion of a whole city. He's angry about that, but he is pleased by something as trivial as a plant that provides shade. This is a, a picture of the corrupting nature of sin, of the deception of sin, Jonah's pride and selfishness leads him to be pleased in a plant, but not in the salvation of an entire city. 
Brothers and sisters, you should see here that what you take pleasure in is a window into your heart. If you take pleasure in the Lord, if you delight in the Lord, you'll be pleased by the things of the Lord. It will be easy to rest in his sovereign goodness. But Jonah did not delight himself in the Lord, and he found no pleasure in God's work among the people of Nineveh. He only found God's pleasure in God's compassion towards him. So what about you? Do you find pleasure in God's grace towards others or only in God's grace towards you? Are you envious or or jealous of the compassion or the blessings that God has bestowed on others? Or can you rejoice in God's mercy and undeserved favor towards those who are not like you? Well, the plant that, that Jonah is so pleased with, it doesn't last, and that is because God is once again at work disciplining Jonah. He saw God's discipline in Jonah's life in, in chapter 2 as he is in the belly of a, I'm sure, dark, smelly, stinky fish, and his life is terrible. Uh, here again, once, once again, Jonah's discipline is painful, or the Lord's discipline in Jonah's life is painful. Uh, He almost faints. The sun was bright. The wind was hot. It was not fun. But again, God's discipline is an act of love, and it is for Jonah's benefit. So to discipline Jonah, God appoints a worm to eat the plant and to kill it. He appoints a scorching east wind and a blazing sun to make Jonah miserable. But I want you to notice that, that God's discipline in Jonah's life here is really just the removal of his blessings of common grace. He didn't really inflict punishment on Jonah so much as just remove some of his undeserved blessings in Jonah's life, the abundant provisions of his grace. A shade, a shelter from the sun, a cool breeze. Those things are simply undeserved gifts of God's grace. And as so often is the fact, God's discipline is simply the removal of some of the abundant provisions of his grace. It's intended to remind you that every good and perfect gift comes down from your heavenly Father. I mean, this should have been obvious to Jonah. That plant was obviously miraculous. I mean, have you ever seen a plant that goes from not existing to big enough to provide shade for a grown man in a night? Well, so then the loss of the plant was to remind Jonah of a lack of God's grace. And, conversely, to remind him of the ways that God had been compassionate to him. Well, unsurprisingly, Jonah still does not recognize God's goodness to him. He gets angry that God has removed these undeserved blessings, these undeserved provisions of his grace to him. And again, he is so angry that he wants to die. He sees himself as worthy of this blessing of God's grace and would prefer not to live in a world in which God's abundant blessings do not come to him. In the end, he is ungrateful. A grateful heart would have thanked God for the one day of shade that he did receive. And you can see that it's not just the shade for which Jonah is ungrateful. He's ungrateful to God for his very life and for his his very existence. He thinks his life was given to him to to do with as he pleased rather than a life to be lived for the glory of God. Well, brothers and sisters, in the same way that what you take pleasure in is a window into your heart, well, what makes you angry is also a window, window into your heart. If your happiness is ultimately centered in your circumstances, uh, some undeserved privilege of God's grace like a plant, if you find your true comfort and pleasure in money, leisure activities, 
certain people, your circumstances, your position at work, whatever it is, if these things please you more than God, you will get angry when they are threatened or when they are taken away. What makes you angry shows you what your heart truly desires. It shows you what you worship. And Jonah desired his own comfort, and he felt he was deserving of all of God's blessings, so he got angry when they were taken away. And what about you? But in the midst of Jonah's anger, God continued to gently pursue Jonah. He comes with the, the same question that he had before. Is it right for you to be angry? Well, this time, God's discipline had brought Jonah to a place in which he would respond. It isn't a good response from Jonah, but God is not met with the same silence as he was met the first time he asked the question. Well, Jonah arrogantly responds that he has the right to be angry, again, claiming a, a moral superiority to God, and he tells God that he's mad enough to die. He continues in his sin, and he continues in his hardness of heart. But as we'll see in the last point of the sermon, God continues to pursue Jonah. God continues to show compassion in his continual pursuit of Jonah in his sin. And so that does bring us to the, the third point of the sermon, which is God's unending compassion. And so God continues his compassionate pursuit of Jonah, a process that, that started way back in chapter 1 when God sent a storm to try to stop Jonah in his tracks as he flees towards Tarshish and a process that reaches its culmination here with his rebuke of Jonah. Now, I'm sure this isn't the end of God's sanctifying work in Jonah's life. That's going to go on for a lifetime, as it does for all of us. Uh, our sanctification will not be complete until we go to be with the Lord. But uh, God brings uh, to a culmination this particular period, this sanctifying period in Jonah's life. And, that's, and his compassion is unending towards Jonah. And God rebukes Jonah, which reveals his relentless pursuit of Jonah, his unending compassion towards him, but it also reveals the depths of God's compassion towards sinful man. And so look again at verses 10 and 11 of, of Jonah chapter 4. And the Lord said, You cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. And so God re rebukes Jonah for a couple of different things in these verses. He rebukes Jonah for failing to recognize that he has the sovereign right to show compassion and mercy how he sees fit. And God is the, the sovereign creator of the world and all that is in it. His rule and reign is supreme. He has the sovereign right as the creator to show compassion to whomever he wills. The Apostle Paul makes this point in Romans chapter 9. He writes about God that he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And God is sovereign in salvation. These people of Nineveh couldn't tell their right hand from their left. They were not pursuing the Lord and yet God compassionately sent Jonah to tell them of coming judgment and to lead them to repentance. And God has a right to show compassion how he sees fit. He chooses to show compassion how he sees fit. Uh, this is what God means when he says, may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people. 
May I not exercise my sovereign right as the creator of the world and the creator of these 120,000 people and show compassion to them if I feel like it. God created the people of Nineveh. Does he not have the right to show compassion to the people of Nineveh? Well, brothers and sisters, recognize that God has a right to show compassion how he sees fit. Salvation is a gracious gift of God. It is not something that you earn. It is not that God looked at you and saw, you know, that person is pretty good. I'm going to give them my compassion. You know, I really like what they've been doing lately. I think that they've kind of earned it. I'm going to show my compassion to them. No, we are all people who cannot tell our right hand from our left. Salvation in God's grace is a gift. It is according to his pleasure. It is not something that we merit. It is a gift of God's grace. He calls us to respond to that gift in repentance and faith, but we do not earn our salvation. It is a gracious gift of God. So God has a right to show compassion how he sees fit, but I also want you to notice the depths of his compassion in these verses. I mean, the depths of his compassion is so great that not only is he caring about these 120,000 people in Nineveh, he cares even about the animals, the animals that he's created that will be destroyed if he destroys the city of Nineveh. And we see God's compassion in the depths of his compassion throughout the words of Scripture. Uh, we are the recipients of God's grace, that he has given salvation to the Gentiles. It is not restricted to the Jewish people. Uh, that Jesus came to save all. Lamentations chapter 3 says this, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Ezekiel 33, 11, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his ways and live. Luke 15, 10, Right before we got to that story of the prodigal son, which gives the same message, Luke 15 sin says this, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. The depths of God's compassion are unending. God's compassion is great. Friends, if you are here and, and you do not know the Lord, if you know yourself not to be a Christian, my prayer for you is that God will lead you to see the depths of his compassion towards you. He has given you life. He has sustained that life. He may have given you a family. He may have given you friends. He's probably given you jobs at various points in your life. He has provided food and shelter for you out of the abundant provisions of his grace. If you're here today, he's given you the privilege of hearing from his word that you might know him. He's shown great compassion to you in giving you the message of the gospel that he is your creator God who is worthy of all honor and praise. And the fact that you have not given God the honor that he deserves, but he sent his son Jesus Christ to redeem you from your sins by paying the penalty you deserve, by dying a bloody death on a Roman cross. You can enjoy the great privileges of God's unending grace, his compassion, and his presence if you would simply repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. He will give you new birth. He will give you the gift of eternal life, the gift of his spirit that will dwell with you, and the promise that one day you will dwell with God for all eternity. Even today, God is compassionately calling to you from his word.
Even today, he is compassionately giving you the same message that he gave to the people of Nineveh. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. And friends, your, your life may not be coming to an end in 40 days. It may be much longer than that. It may be much shorter than that. But, God, but judgment is coming. And God is giving you great compassion and telling you how you might be delivered from that judgment. And it's simple. It is to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. So give God praise for the compassion he has given you. Do not meet him with the silence that Jonah met him with after this first question. Respond to his compassionate pursuit of you. And to you, Christian, God is calling you to rest in his sovereign goodness, to give him praise that he shows compassion however he sees fit, to give him praise for the ways that you see him showing compassion not only to you but to others, to thank him that he's shown compassion to you. He's calling you to display his compassion to others. Well, the second thing that, that God rebukes Jonah for is Jonah's own lack of compassion for not having the heart of the Lord. And Jonah felt no compassion to others. If, if he had, he would have delighted in the repentance of the people of Nineveh. And so instead, God is, is calling Jonah to pursue the heart of the Lord, to have love for and compassion towards what the Lord loves and who the Lord loves and who the Lord has compassion for. He's calling Jonah to conform his own desires to God's desires. He's, he's calling Jonah to be an imitator of him. Uh, King David writes this in, in Psalm 37, 4. He writes, take delight in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desire. Well, some read that verse and think, well, oh, all right. If I just do good things and say I believe in Jesus, he'll give me what I want. That's not what David is saying in these verses. David is encouraging you to love the things that God loves. Because if you love the things that God loves, you will find delight in the sovereign workings of the Lord. If the Lord is your delight, you will rejoice in his sovereign goodness. You will rejoice in how he chooses to show compassion. And just think of the story of Jonah for a moment. Just, just go back to Jonah sitting under that plant, or actually after the plant had withered and died. If Jonah's circumstances didn't change, he could have been experiencing great joy if he had simply cultivated the heart of the Lord and if he had taken delight in the Lord. I mean, Jonah really was like that older brother in the story of the prodigal son that Princey just read. He felt worthy of honor and resented the honor and compassion being shown to others. Uh, the, the younger brother or the older brother and the prodigal son could have rejoiced at the return of his younger brother, but instead he was angered. He did not share the compassion and love of his father for his brother. Well, brothers and sisters, what a shallow joy it was for Jonah to take delight in a plant. He could have been taking joy in the salvation of 120,000 people, and instead he took delight in a plant. He could have been humbled and awed at the fact that God would use him to spare the lives of an entire city. Instead, he delighted in a plant. He traded the joy of eternal things, the joy of the things of the Lord, for the far inferior pleasure that is to be found in the things of this world. And of course, his, his pleasure in the things of this world, his pleasure in a plant, it proved to be a fleeting pleasure because the things of this world and the pleasures of this world are fleeting. They are fading away. They are not meant to sustain your joy. 
But God holds out a far greater joy if you know him and you delight in him. Uh, The famous author C.S. Lewis wrote this about our tendency to pursue lesser joy. And he wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Jonah was far too easily pleased. I can't be sure of this, but I I personally believe the book of Jonah was written by Jonah later in his life, that he's reflecting on this period of his life and God's continued pursuit of him, that God's discipline actually did have its intended effect in Jonah's life, that his sanctifying work eventually brought him to the place where he delighted in the Lord and obeyed from the heart, and that he wrote the book of Jonah so that we might see these, we might see God's work in Jonah's life, and so God might work through Jonah, through Jonah's story in our lives. So brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to let God's sanctifying work have its effect in your own life. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desire. Well, how do you do this? How do you take delight in the Lord? I think one of the the fundamental ways that you do this is to remember your own sinfulness, to see the depths of your sin, and therefore to see the greatness of God's compassion towards you, that he would forgive your sins because Jesus took the penalty for them on the cross. It is to delight and rejoice and marvel at the fact that even though you did not deserve it, you have been the rich recipients of God's mercy and compassion. If you are a Christian, God has forgiven you. He has adopted you into his family. There is an inheritance waiting for you, an inheritance that is far greater than a plant that provides shade or any other fleeting pleasures of this world. So remember the gospel. Remember that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, but God sent that Savior. Pursue the heart of the Lord. Rest in His sovereign goodness. Rejoice in the compassion that He shows, has shown you and the compassion that He shows to others. The, the book of Jonah ends on a question. It's intended to cause you to reflect. And so I want to, to close this sermon by just asking you a couple of simple questions. May God do as he pleases and show compassion as he sees fit. Do you rejoice in the way that God has shown compassion to you? Do you rejoice in the Lord and his ways? Let's pray. And Father, we 